welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Father, we are thankful today to join together to study your word. Lord, this sermon could really be thought of as a two-part sermon. Ephesians 1 tells us what we are, or what you, or better yet, what you have made us. That you have called us blessed, that we are adopted, that we are redeemed, that we are chosen, that we are sealed by you. Chapter 2 reminds us, though, reminds us of where we were before all that. So, Lord, as we look at chapter 2, we pray that by your Spirit, true picture of where we are and who we are would be brought before us that we could seek this day to change to grow more in your likeness bless me with the words that are needed for those gathered here as we make our prayer now in Jesus name Confession is good for the soul, we are told. And so I confess. Sometimes I forget from whence I came. As they say down home, I get above my raisin. Now, I know. I know I was born and raised in rich lands. The garden spot of North Carolina. The town of perfect water. Not water. Water. <laughs> and I'll never forget that hill on which I spent my first 18 years. For that rich black dirt is as much a part of me as the blood which currently courses through my veins. I love Richland. Just this week, I was presented an opportunity to tell a relative all about what this town that produced four generations of our family was all about. To recount the ethic of hard work and stubborn determination to prove ourselves by continuously choosing the harder assignments. The ethic that was instilled in us and for all those for whom Richland is held so dear. 
Yet, 25 years after graduating and heading off first to Chapel Hill and then to Duke, I forget about Richland sometimes. I forget that I am from a place where one of the great highlights of our social calendar each year was Cal Patty Bingo. And if you don't know how to play Cal Patty Bingo, I'll tell you later. And a tobacco spitting contest at our annual Farmer's Day celebration. I drive past our county museum and no longer recall that after our town founded it, we had to fight to keep it because we were considered too, shall I say, uncultured to be home to such cultural and historical treasures. After sitting comfortably all these years in Keenan Stadium and the Smith Center, I failed to remember that I come from a place where we were so well considered by the education leaders of our county that when our gym bleachers were declared a health hazard, we were told simply that if we wished to watch basketball, we could bring our own lawn chairs. The fog of memory has, after all these many years, only burned off from the good so that it shines in noonday brilliance while maintaining the bad in dark obscurity. If I had to define what is the purpose of Lent, I would simply say that it is to burn away all the fog so that both good and bad can be seen in the beauty of the noonday. The Ash Wednesday invitation that marks the start of this season is always a call to remember. To remember that we are dust and to dust we shall return. To remember the fragility of our human condition. To remember as we stand in the shadow of the cross not only that through Christ's sacrifice we are saved but also to recall those things from which we were and now are being saved. In other words, the Lenten season is a reminder for us to spiritually not get above our raisin. It is to this remembrance that Paul calls the Ephesian church to in our text this morning. Look with me at verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Beloved, did you catch that? Did you catch that reminder that you were, of what you were before you were awakened to and understood the fact that the God of all creation loved you? 
you were dead. And really, just saying that cleans up the picture too well. So let me put it in modern terminology. You were a feral zombie in all of its putrid odiousness. You had every appearance of being alive, but you were really just the walking dead. You thought you were in control of everything, but you were following the path of evil forces and the paths that they led, laid out. Forces that Paul says is still at work in those who are not following God, the sons of disobedience. We, Paul reminds us, were no better than some alley cat who acts only on their own desires and for their own protection. Now let us take it a step farther. For a moment, close your eyes. Close your eyes and think about what you believe to be some of the most unimaginable sins possible. Take the sins that you will say, I just don't know how someone could do that. Come up with about five. I really hope you came up with a good list. I hope you came up with a list that is absolutely dripping with sin. A list that is so close to hell that it would light itself on fire. Because Paul tells us that we are no better. We are no better than anyone who has committed one or all of the sins that we have just placed on our list. He states that we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. When we get above our raising, beloved, we forget passages of Scripture like this one. We tend to think that our sins are not as bad as someone else's. We create hierarchies of sin that make an NCAA tournament bracket, which will be announced later today, look like child's play. As we try to advance some toward heaven above others, as we create impediments to grace, we wrap ourselves in the warm lie that we are somehow superior to someone else because our sin looks different from their sin. Oh, beloved, let us understand that sin is sin. They are all the same. And all who sin will face the same sentence apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yet even as we refresh our memories with that truth, let us remember that an intervention has occurred that can free us from that fate. 
Notice verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then on down to verse number 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I recognize that all Scripture is inspired by God. But some just get me more than others. And this is one. Paul says, but God. You were doomed to hell. But God. He is explicit here. God intervened. God intervened when there was no reason to intervene. He intervened despite the fact that there was no signal, no whiff, no inkling of reformation. In the human condition. God ran toward humanity. Even as humanity. Willfully ran from him. So that as love outdistanced hate. As righteousness overtook evil. Death. Could be transformed. Into life. Beloved. Sometimes. We forget this intervention. And we get the false impression that we are so good that we deserve God's love and grace. We aren't. The text is quite clear this morning. We have no reason Zero reason to boast in what we have done. God did it all. But too often, we get so far above our raising that we believe God owes us everything. He owes us a life free from obstacles and struggles. But guess what? He doesn't. We assert, even though none of us would admit it, that we have done our part. We have worked hard by coming to church every Sunday we never miss Sunday school. We always tithe. We throw in a little extra for Lottie and Annie. We serve on committees. Anytime someone asks us to do so. And so because of that, God owes us answers to even our most self-centered and insincere prayers. When the reality is, he doesn't. In fact, beloved, 
we forget that we owe him. Yes, nothing can ever repay the debt of, to love each of us owe. But that fact should never, ever be an impediment to our entire life being an offering of praise to God for his unmerited favor, his matchless grace, his never-ending mercy, his boundless love. So this morning, the question needs to be asked, how well is your praise going this morning? You know, when I was a freshman at Carolina, I went to the State Fair for the first time. And after that, I, I hadn't missed one since, except for last year, maybe a couple of years before that. But I rarely miss it. So when Scout came along, I was determined that Scout was going to have the fair as a central part of her life. We have pictures of Scout at six years old sucking on a Mount Olive dill pickle. When she was a year and a half, we took her off to the fair. We had to park way out there where state practices football. We went to the fair and she had the time of her life. She saw the giant pumpkin. She got to touch a cow. She got to ride all the rides. I believe that was the first year that the, the ski lift was open. So she even got to ride the ski lift. You hadn't, you hadn't lived until you have a year and a half year old in a ski lift with you. She was looking around and having fun and I was holding her tighter than the biggest tightwad holds a dime. She had a ball. So we're walking back to the car. And I'm walking ahead of Jessica and Eliza with, with Scout. And from time to time, she just stopped. She'd turn around. And she'd look back. She'd, she'd look back. Well, I'd get to work the next day. I didn't have time for this. So I picked her up. And I started carrying her. And the further I walked, I kept hearing something. Something tiny and quiet, almost imperceptible. And what I finally heard was Kanku. 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 Now let me give you the translation. Thank you. Here's a year and a half old scout without prompting looking back on what she has just experienced which may have been at that point the biggest thrill of her life. I don't know. But she could see still all the bright lights of the midway. And all she could say again and again 
and again was thank you. Now, beloved, a year and a half year old child who couldn't manage to get it to the car if someone weren't there leading her can offer up unprompted a sacrifice of praise. How can you and I remain quiet? Remain quiet when we actually take time to remember from whence we came and not offer to God a continuous thank you. But let's go a step further. Beloved, how rich in mercy are you this morning? The scripture says, but God, being rich in mercy, intervened for us. You know, it is with great sadness that I have noticed over the years that the richer disciples get in years of following Jesus, far too often the poor they become in mercy and grace. They declare their poverty as they expect people who are new to the faith to be as sanctified as they are after decades of following Jesus. And they treat the younger believers gracelessly. They file for bankruptcy every time they fail to treat others with the same grace that they themselves demand to be treated with. Their witness is returned for insufficient funds each time they consign a soul to hell because they say that soul deserves it, forgetting that each and every one of us, apart from the work of grace, in our lives deserves hell as well. Let us remember this morning that the King of glory places such value in mercy and grace that he uses what we declare valuable in this world to be little more than construction materials in heaven. He expects his church to likewise place inestimable value in mercy and grace as he does. To that end, Paul reminds us in verses 6 and 7 that God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Beloved, 
Does your life bear witness to the immeasurable riches of God's grace? Does the fact that you are closely acquainted with the fact that apart from God's grace, you would be nothing more than a zombie create in you an attitude of humility such that you are grounded and the grace of God is allowed to rush over you and dare I say past you into the lives of those who are deficient in grace. Or is it better that you have put on airs and have erected yourself so high that you have created a mountain for God's grace to flow through and thereby dam it up? Beloved, remember from whence you came. Remember from whence you came and also remember where you're going. Remember where you're going. Paul tells us in verse number 7 that we have been placed so that in the coming ages we would be a testament of God's grace and mercy. Verse 10 tells us that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, beloved, one day you and I are intended to be a trophy in God's case of grace and mercy. You and I build trophy cases to show and to highlight, to accentuate what we have done. When we walk out from this room here in a few minutes, we're going to come face to face with a trophy cabinet that is filled and bears witness to Grove Park's acumen and prowess in various sports. It says we can do this and we have been good at this for a very long time. Repeatedly though in the text this morning we have heard Paul state that our redemption, our salvation is not accomplished through what you and I do. It is accomplished through what God has done. And so when I read verse 10 I'm reminded of what God seeks to do in my life and your life to ensure that when the time comes for us to be placed in the cabinet, we're not tarnished. You know, when you put trophies in the cabinet, they look all nice and pretty, right? And then the longer they go and they're not touched and nobody deals with them, the further back they get in the cabinet, the more tarnished they become. And I've been thinking about that this week. I've been thinking about a trophy in the cabinet at Richlands. 
that, that I helped get there, and I wondered just how tarnished after 25 years it's become. Is it even out front anymore? Probably not, right? Hadn't been taken out and worked on. Hadn't had anything pushed upon it and cleaned it up. Beloved, when the text says that we are God's workmanship, that we are created to do good works, it is God saying that our task in life as his trophy is to continuously be out in and amongst the world so that we are continuously doing good works and thereby through our interactions we are being polished so that one day we will be set into that cabinet gleaming. God does not want us, beloved, to be tarnished. But when you and I say, I can't do that, that is above my raisin, guess what happens? We put ourselves further in the back of the cabinet. We place ourselves further back to where we're forgotten and tarnished. Beloved, there is nothing to which God calls us. There is no work to which God calls us that is beneath us. Nothing. Because he intends for us to be polished and he intends for us to declare throughout all time his grace. And so we can ensure now what we are going to be looking like later by being obedient and humble and not above our race. Wearing a new pair of shoes this morning. And when I walked outside the front door, being a new pair of shoes, they were a little slick. Thank God I didn't fall. But I was reminded of a time that I did. Twenty-one years ago, North Carolina had a snow of the ages. Twenty-some inches in Chapel Hill. Canceled classes. And then the next day, or two days later, we had to play Maryland. And being in the band, I had to be there. So I had to walk from Old East, which was my dorm up by the old well, all the way to South Campus. Now, I don't, don't know if you know this, but Chapel Hill actually is on a hill. There's about five of them, in fact. And I had managed about three of them, and I had come to the one that was going to get me. And, and it was iced over. I mean, it was a solid sheet of ice. And people were coming up to it, and they were sitting down and sliding down. And I stood there at the top of that hill and I said to myself, 
I am from a proud family in Richlands. It is beneath me to put my bottom down on this hill and slide down. So I will make it and I will prove to all these other people that it can be done. You know what can be done? You can be a large man and see your shoes fly above your head. You can see all the parts of your clarinet scattered to the four winds of heaven. You can say, that was stupid. Because everybody else in Richlands would have got down on their bottom and slid down. I just decided I was above my raise. And so I got tarnished. Or should I say bruised? Beloved, God saved you by His grace. He didn't have to, but He did. He saved you so that you would be forever with Him, that He could show you off in all of the coming ages of time a testament, a trophy of His grace. And it is high time that we remember that we didn't do it ourselves. It is high time we remember the world around us and say that apart from the grace of God, there we would go. And in humility and abundant love, say to the Father, there is nothing that you can call me to that I won't do. I will not be above my raisin. Is it going to be comfortable all the time? No, it wasn't. Wasn't comfortable sitting in the midst of the Smith Center the remainder of that evening with a wet bottom at 22 years old. But we bring on ourselves unimaginable discomfort when we fly so high that we fly above the grace of God. So, are you above your raises? Are you above your raises? I know nobody likes to hear it when someone says that. I told him in the first service if my brother were to come in and tell me I was above my raise, I'd probably cold cut him. But hear me. The world is at stake. The world is at stake. And we can't be above our raising. Let's pray. Lord, we forget where you brought us from. So right now, remind us. We forget the debt of love that we owe. Remind us. 
bring us down to earth, Lord. That we may be a testament, a trophy of your grace. And that by coming back down to where we should be as humble sons and daughters of God. We would be able to say to those who are struggling with all sorts of things around us. I've been there. I've done that. But God by his grace brought me from it. Let me walk with you and show you how you too can swim in his goodness. Be clear to us now, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please join us next Sunday morning for worship at 11 o'clock on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abounds.